The Late Srinivasa Ramanujan by E. H. Neville. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in July 2019. The Late Srinivasa Ramanujan from Nature, Volume 106, January 20th, 1921. In the notice contributed to the issue of Nature for June 17 last, Professor Hardy was unable to give any account of the late Srinivasa Ramanujan's early life and made no attempt to describe his appearance or character. The June number of the Journal of the Indian Mathematical Society has memorial articles by Professor P. V. Seshu Ayar of Madras and Devan Bahadur Ramachandra Rao, and the first of these gives biographical details that have not hitherto been published in England. Ramanujan was born at Erode on December 22, 1887. Footnote. This is the year given by Seshu Ayar, and the date is consistent with the undisputed statements that Ramanujan was 26 when he came to England and 32 when he died. I have no doubt that the date 1888 commonly given is due to a natural misinference from these last figures. End footnote. His mother, a shrewd and cultured lady who is still alive, was the daughter of a government official at Erode, his father a cloth merchant's accountant at Kumbakonam, and it was in the latter town that his boyhood was spent. As is usual with Brahmin boys, he was sent to school at the age of five. Before he was seven, he was transferred to the town high school, and there he remained until 1904, leading an inactive life and building an astounding edifice of analytical knowledge and discovery on the foundation of Carr's Synopsis of Pure Mathematics, the only book on higher mathematics to which he had access. Having matriculated already in 1903, he went from the town school to the government college at Kumbakonam, but in January 1905 his progress was stopped and a scholarship on which he was dependent forfeited, owing to a weakness in English, of which those who recall his fluency and the range of his vocabulary in later life will be surprised to learn. Of Ramanujan's next few years, no clear account has come to my notice. After a stay at Vaisagapatam, he joined the Paichayapas College at Madras, but, failing in his first examination, he gave up the idea of taking a university course. A nomadic period, during which his own researches progressed, came to an end in the summer of 1909, when he married, and returned to Madras in search of permanent employment. There, Professor Seshu Ayar, who had seen something of him at Kumbakonam in 1904, gave him a letter of introduction to Mr. Ramachandra Rao, at that time district collector at Nellore. Possibly, Ramanujan was too timid to make direct use of the letter. Mr. Rao's story follows in his own words. Several years ago, a nephew of mine, perfectly innocent of mathematical knowledge, spoke to me. Uncle, I have a visitor who talks of mathematics. I do not understand him. Can you see if there is anything in his talk? 
and in the plenitude of my mathematical wisdom I condescended to permit Ramanujan to walk into my presence. A short, uncouth figure, stout, unshaved, not over-clean, with one conspicuous feature, shining eyes, walked in, with a frayed notebook under his arm. He was miserably poor. He had run away from Kumbakonam to get leisure in Madras to pursue his studies. He never craved for any distinction. He wanted leisure, in other words, simple food to be provided for him without exertion on his part and that he should be allowed to dream on. He opened his notebook and began to explain some of his discoveries. I saw quite at once that there was something out of the way, but my knowledge did not permit me to judge whether he talked sense or nonsense. Suspending judgment, I asked him to come over again. And he did. And then he had gauged my ignorance and showed me some of his simpler results. These transcended existing books, and I had no doubt that he was a remarkable man. Then, step by step, he led me to elliptic integrals and hypergeometric series, and at last his theory of divergent series, not yet announced to the world, converted me. I asked him what he wanted. He said he just wanted a pittance to live on so that he might pursue his researches. It is a matter of considerable pride to me that I was in some way useful to this remarkable genius in his earlier days. In a year's time I introduced him to Sir Francis Spring, the president of the Madras Port Trust, who gave him a sinecure post in his office. The last two sentences conceal that, throughout the interval of a year, not only was Mr. Rao trying to find some scholarship for which Ramanujan's original work might qualify him in spite of failure in examinations, but he was also maintaining Ramanujan in Madras at his own expense. At the Port Trust, Ramanujan remained until Dr. G. T. Walker, on an official visit to Madras, was made acquainted with his history and joined forces with Sir Francis Spring. Their combined attack on the university and the government of Madras resulted in the creation of a research studentship, which was of sufficient value to set him wholly free and secured him access to the lectures and the library of the university. He was in possession of this studentship when I met him in 1914. To Professor Hardy's account of his correspondence and my intervention I have little to add. My task was an easier one than I anticipated. From the government and the University of Madras I had every encouragement. On the other hand, Ramanujan was ready to put complete confidence in me, simply because to him and his friends I came from outside the official machine. The only cold water was thrown from the India office in London, but my efforts had succeeded before this reached Madras. Throughout his life Ramanujan kept religiously to a diet of vegetables, fruit and rice, and in England, outside his own rooms, food and clothing were a continual trial to him. I have known him ask with unaffected apologies if he might make his meal of bread and jam, because the vegetables offered to him were novel and unpalatable, and with a pathetic confidence he has appealed to me for advice under the discomforts of shoes and trousers. His figure was short, and until his health gave way, it was stout. His skin, never of the darkest, grew paler during his stay in England. 
His head gave the impression, which photographs show to have been false, of broadening below the ears, which were small. His face was clean-shaven, with a broad nose and a high forehead, and always his shining eyes were the conspicuous feature that Mr. Rao observed them to be in 1910. Ramanujan walked stiffly, with head erect, and his arms, unless he was talking, held clear of his body, with hands open and palms downward. In conversation he became animated and gesticulated vividly with his slender fingers. He had a fund of stories, and such was his enjoyment in telling a joke that often his words struggled incomprehensible through the laughter with which he anticipated the climax of a narrative. He had serious interests outside mathematics. He was always ready to discuss whatever in philosophy or politics had last caught his attention, and Indians speak with admiration of a mysticism of which his English friends understood little. Perfect in manners, simple in manner, resigned in trouble and unspoilt by renown, grateful to a fault and devoted beyond measure to his friends, Ramanujan was a lovable man as well as a great mathematician. By his death I have suffered a personal loss, but I do not feel that his coming to England is to be regretted even for his own sake. Professor Hardy speaks of disaster because of the hopes he entertained. If he pictures Ramanujan as he might have been throughout a long life, tormented by a lonely genius, unable to establish effective contact with any mathematicians of his own class, wasted in the study of problems elsewhere solved, Professor Hardy must agree that the tragedy averted was the greater. Shortly before he left England, at a time of great depression, Ramanujan told me that he never doubted that he did well to come, and I believe that he would have chosen, as he did in Madras in 1914, even had he known that the choice was the choice of Achilles. E. H. Neville, University College, Reading, December 7th End of The Late Srinivasa Ramanujan by E. H. Neville